Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, comedy writer John Cantor. Johnny's in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. The man in the trench coat, badge out, laid off, says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid. It's something you did. God knows when. But you're doing it again. I am here today to advance the cause of Bob Dylan as a humorist. My background is in light entertainment, and I very much admire the line from the Marx Brothers, who were my first comic heroes, to Bob Dylan. In fact, I go so far as to say there's a physical resemblance. I don't know what you guys think. There's the, there's the Harpo Marx curls, mm-hmm. and there's the Groucho Marx attitude mm. to authority. I mean, the first joke I've heard, my father took me to um, the Everman Cinema in Hampstead to see all the Marx Brothers film when I was maybe eight years old. And the first joke I can remember is Groucho saying to somebody, you follow me? Well, don't follow me. I'll have you arrested. And I think that's the same kind of attitude to authority as Bob evinces in such things as God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Mm-hmm. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. Mm. That, that kind of hipster talk, that, that back chat Mm. Is, is, a, is a wonderful aspect of Bob. It's surprising, it's anarchic, it's mischievous. So I don't want to come here today and say he's funny like, you know, Weird Al Yankovic is, you know, funny, <laughs> funny. You know what I mean? All the yeah. Baron Knights. Yeah. And I don't think of him like Victoria Wood or Ian Dury or Noel Coward as a master of the comic song. But what I'd like to suggest is that humour is, it, it's, it, it's not an add-on, it, it's part of him. I think you're right. I think, I, I think there are moments we forget. I mean, there, there are moments in um, those spring 66 concerts when he's playing Visions of Johanna alone on a stage and there's an audience who's, let's, let's not forget, have never heard this song before. Mm-hmm. And there are audible laughs at, you know, geez, I can't find my knees, things yes, like that. They yes, giggle, right. you know. Yeah. Um, we, we've, be- we've become removed from the fact that those lines were ever funny, but I think they were once. Yes. And, and, and if you look at the young Bob Dylan, you can see that he's got a twinkle in his eye. Absolutely. And, you know, just it looks like a, a, a little comic character, isn't he? Almost yes. a cartoon character. What was it mm. you said at the press conference at 66? Keep, when asked what his message was, he said, was it right? Keep a clean nose. Keep always carry a light bulb. Good head and carry a light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. you know. So yeah. he, he's very, very playful, mm. which, of course, is a way, as every humorist will tell you, is a way of distancing the audience or just, you know, he, he yeah. keeps himself unpredictable and, or you might say predictably perverse. So you can't pin him down and he uses humour to vary the point of view in a, a brilliant way. Um, my, of all the lyrics in all the canon, perhaps my favourite is from Up To Me when he says, um, the only decent thing I did when I worked as a postal clerk was to haul your picture off the wall of the cage where I used to work. That's just a wonderful, that's like a short story. Yeah. And it's just so, it's, that is purely funny to me. What's the, what's the best thing you ever did in a dead-end job? Yeah. Was to haul somebody's photo off the wall. You know, it's, it's inspired and, uh, as I say, completely unpredictable. You don't know what's going to come. And the idea of um, life in the same old cage, is that from Time mm. Out of Mind? That, that comes yeah. back, that notion, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, yes. It's, it's, but the thing that I love about his humour is that often it's, really razor sharp and serious at the yes. same time. Mm. That's right. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it's personal to me, but I experienced Bob Dylan's humour 
before I experienced his music, really. I watched a documentary that was on on BBC Two in the late 70s called Heroes of Rock and Roll. Right. And it was American-made, so it had lots of footage that hasn't been seen on British television since. And it had that press conference, which has since been shown in No Direction Home, with a slightly different soundtrack. But the version I remember was the American reporter saying, uh, Bob, how, how many uh, folk singers do you think there are in the world today? And he goes, uh, how many? Yes, how, how many would you say there are? It's either, uh, you know, 136 or 142. And I watched that at the age of eight or nine. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? And before I even got to the music, I thought, I like this guy. I like it. You know, and I like the fact that he's talking about mathematical music. Yes. I like the fact that he's he's giving these kind of barbed, sarcastic answers. That's my kind of humour, you know. And that yes. drew me in long, well, not long before, I, I minutes think, before um, the music. So I, hadn't, I was born in 1953, and I so came to his songs, I suppose, when I was nine and ten, and then a bit older when uh, I was 61 and so on. I don't think I'd heard sarcasm in, in popular song before I, I heard I it. Right. I don't mm. think you've got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend. Mm. You know, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Songs were about things that... They were, will you still love me tomorrow? They were, I feel fine. They were, love me do. They were, they attempted to, to tap into universal things, but mm. he was a guy openly tapping into his own private universe, mm. private conflicts. It was very, very exciting. Yes. Yeah. Sort of in a way daring you to not to laugh. You didn't know whether to take it seriously yes, or not. I mean, whenever, when I heard everybody must get stoned, I thought, yeah, yeah. but on the other hand, you can say, you know, it's a biblical reference, everybody. Yeah. You know, he, he has yeah, his yeah. cake and eats it too. Yes. Mm. And where, did, where do you think the, um, his Jewishness might uh, come in that, um, in the humor? I mean, you were well, talking about the Marx Brothers. Yeah. Um, I could, well, it's perhaps a, a large claim, but as you know, <laughs> the Jews are, are a wandering people, and humour is a way of ev- it's a way of evading, avoiding being on the run, being being restless, and not being quite able to be pinned down. Mm. Always have your bag packed, mm-hmm. your suitcase ready. So there's there's something in him, something in his quicksilver character, mm. uh, that I find possibly to be quite. Quite Jewish. Yeah, that makes sense. And you, I mean, you were at Cambridge. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing, my, my maths is terrible, but around the, the sort of early 70s. Yes, that's right. So, so, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. I mean, was, I mean, my image of Cambridge, you know, from that sort of period is all, you know, Pink Floyd albums and Nick Drake. But I mean, was, was Dylan fashionable? It was, I guess, Blood on the Tracks, Planet Waves, that sort Blood of Blood on the Tracks came out just after I left. But, okay. but, um, so what were you, we'll forget Planet, Blood on the Tracks yeah. then. What about when you were there? Um, Planet Waves was was a fantastic album. Um, mm. Certainly saw through me through my finals and possibly contributed to my getting a third class degree. Um, <laughs> because if you're gonna go out, you're gonna go, go, yeah, exactly. go out, go out and stuff. Um, no, he he. What I love about Bob, I, I take your question on. I, I love the fact that if there's a fashion, he's slightly to the side of it. And I remember being 15 and hearing John Wesley Harding. Mm-hmm. when um, most music was, was hippie or rock and, and being amazed by these songs that sounded several thousand years old. Yeah. And that's, an, that's another way you can't pin him down. But I'd really like his attitude to, to fashion, mm. in other words. Yeah. He, he never seems to be talking to people in the music business, to journalists. He's only ever talking to himself when we're privileged to listen if that's not too sycophantic. No, I always get the I, mean? I always get the feeling, I think you're mm. right, and I always get the feeling looking back at that era 
that whenever he felt he was at the centre, the epicentre of some sort of fashion, that was it, he'd move. Yes, mm. that's right. I mean, the you American know? folk community, didn't they? They, they said, well, now, Bob, you're, when, yeah. when is your next folk music record coming out? Because you are now, <laughs> you, we now own you. Mm. Yeah. He, he said, no, no, wait a minute. No, yeah. I haven't. I'm not a member of, uh, you know, I, I'm not an employee of the folk movement. Yeah. I, I am, I'm an artist. And, and he's off and he's plugging in. And then a couple of years yes. later, the, the Beatles are, you know, let me take you down and all that. And yes. he's thinking, right, I'm going to do some, some, some songs in Nashville with no choruses Absolutely, the based on the Bible and you know I mean we've got to face it though guys we're all in the entertainment world and we try and please our masters don't we I mean if we're yeah. paid to do a voiceover or write a radio mm. TV mm-hmm. script you know we're aware of the production process and people we have to please but Bob is, is not like that which means you might go to a concert as I'm sure we all have and find that it's terrible yeah. because he's not in the mood uh, or his voice is shot or he's tired so you're not going to, you can't be guaranteed a level of excellence, oh, no. but at the same time, you're going to be guaranteed, you know, genius at some point if you go, <laughs> go often enough. Yeah, I agree. Well, when was the first, when was the moment when you saw him live? Do well, you remember? I think like a lot of people, I first saw him live in 1978, the Earl's Court concert. I queued for eight or 10 hours. And oh. at that point, I was sharing a flat with Douglas Adams of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fame. Mm-hmm. And he and I bonded and bonded with the several thousand people who were there can't remember all their names but <laughs> isn't it it's a wonderful experience it's a long time ago it's it is, yeah and it was a completely non-disappointing concert it was it was um, magnificent I was astonished by how intense he was by how short he was yeah and by how by how focused he was yeah. and I suppose you know the, the the British ingestion of Dylan in terms of London gigs must have gone Baptism of Fire in 64, mm. Don't Look Back Here in 65, Oh My God, What's He Done in 66, yeah. yes. Isle of Wight briefly, yes. and then nothing until Earl's yes, Court. So there must right. have been this gigantic homecoming for, for that, that gig, I would imagine. Yeah, you could see that he was moved by how thrilled we were really that he was there. And did you like the music he was doing at the time, Street Legal and that sort Yes, of thing? I did. I think that's, um, that's not a period I go back to very much, and I wonder why not. It, the record itself I find to be quite muddy and badly well, produced. Exactly. What do you think? Well, no, I, I've never been able to get into it until literally last week when uh, Luke sent me this link to the, the Spotify version, the version that's currently on Spotify, which is really cleaned up. It was the first time I've ever been able to hear the words, mm-hmm. all yes, of them. Was, yeah. And I sat there and listened to it all the way through, and I thought, oh, my God, now I've it's another, it's another thing that I'm going to go back yes. to and and really get into now because mm-hmm. you know a bad production can just totally put you off. Yes, because it's a magnificent song. No time to think, Senor. Yes, wonderful yeah. songs. And yeah. also, if you've, as Kerry and I both have read a feral bit of Michael Gray, yeah. um, you start to realise on Street Legal there's a thread that goes through it, which is, ties to Robert Johnson. There's Is Your Love in Vain. There's yes. Baby Stop Crying, a.k.a. Stop Breaking Down. There's a line about the the juice running down my leg. And these little references mm. to Robert Johnson. I had no idea what it means. But clearly something's going on there. And it yes, repays, well, he, it? when you read Chronicles, you're struck, as always, but the fact that the great artists are completely open about absorbing lessons and even stealing things yeah. from other great artists. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing covert about it. Yeah. They're just... No. Help themselves. It's, it's wonderful. It's all love and theft. Yes, exactly. love and theft. Yeah. And so did you keep going on to Dylan concerts? Was there ever a time when you stopped? Yes, I've got, admit, I've got to out myself now, gentlemen, mm. as somebody who hasn't seen Bob for about 15 years. And I, I can say it's only because I find 
the voice to be not what it was. Mm. And it, what does it matter? He doesn't have to. As far as I'm concerned, Bob can do. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> Bob can do what he likes, can't he? I mean, if he'd retired in 1975, we, we'd all be sitting here now talking about him. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's all a bonus, but I, I, I'm reluctant. To, I just think the instruments shot, you know, if you were a classical singer, if you were an opera singer, he would have mm. retired. And so I don't want to, and I certainly don't want to hear him singing songs from the great American songbook. Yeah. Know? It's well, fine. I'm happy for him to do it, but. Yeah, but as, as we said on another podcast, or I did anyway, five CDs is, is, yes. is time out, I think, now. We, we, yes. <laughs> you know, it's not without worth, but five CDs of anything is, yes, is, yes. is pushing it. Um, yes, sure. I was going to ask you about. about um, your point of view, just about the artist's journey. Yes. Um, I did a play of yours a couple of years ago, and there were, there were many jokes mm. in there about um, people being on a journey. Oh, yes. I oh, thought, yes. you know, what kind of journey is Dylan on? Is, it, is, is the artistic journey always a selfish one? And if so, does it matter? It can't matter because who would it matter to and why would it matter? You, you're talking about the social responsibility of I don't Bob know, Dylan really. now? Because I certainly wouldn't want to settle... Any no, I mean the duty of care to. He, it seems to me that he, that as, without delving into his personal <laughs> life, um, because I don't know him and none of us do, he is he is on some kind of trajectory that he is pretty dead set on. You know, um, he's been touring for thirty years yes. with the American Songbook. He's clearly doing what he wants. Um, he shifts and moves. He he doesn't like to be pinned down for any too long a time. Um, and I don't know anything about his personal relationships, but I know as as an admirer and as a fan, yeah. it's been a bumpy ride. But ultimately, I guess that doesn't matter, does it? Because it's his no. it's his process, you know. And whose by whose whose ride is not bumpy? So um, well, yeah, yes, well, yeah. I, I mean, don't know. I think he dealt with that really early, didn't he? As far as people saying, you know, you know him. He's the spokesman for your generation. Mm. We give you he, Bob Dylan, and you know, he's he's never taken that on board, and no. he refuses to take then, that on board. And yeah. I think a lot of people do. I mean, it's sort of a temptation. There's um, a lovely line. This sounds like a digression, but I hope it isn't. There's a lovely line in a in a Randy Newman song, um, where. Randy is approached by Bruce Springsteen, a.k.a. The Boss. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether, whether you remember the song. But in the song, um, Bruce says to Randy, Hey, Rand, I remember. I'm tired. How would you, you like, like to, to be, be the, the boss, boss for a while? while. <laughs> and then he says, Well, yeah! <laughs> and I think that's very pertinent to Dylan. I, th- I believe that Jerry Garcia said a similar thing. He, he felt that Bob should be allowed a holiday from being Bob. He so, says it in No Direction Home, doesn't he? Backstage yeah. in one of those those gigs yeah, yeah, in 66. Yeah. He says, I'm going to you know, give myself a new Bob Dylan, see how long he lasts. <laughs> yes. I, I had that, uh, I have to say, in a, in a teeniest microscopic way, when I, I did a production of uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at Northampton Rep in 1979, and I was oh, one yeah. of the brothers. And I had to catch a train back to London every night. Yeah. So I would come out, and we did have a lot of, you know, kind of teeny bopper fans who would be out there. Sometimes they actually threw jelly beans at it. It was like it was, like, it was Liverpool or something. And, and, and they would ask for your autograph. And, uh, and, you know, nobody, we weren't famous or anything. And I played, you know, the cute Jewish brother or something. I don't know who the hell I was supposed to be. But um, 
I would sign autographs. Maybe there'd be five or six, you know, 13, 14-year-old girls out there. And then one time I, I had to catch an earlier train. I had to really run for this train. And I said, I'm really sorry. I, I've got to catch a train. And she said to me, you know, we put you where you are today. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this must be just what Bob Dylan gets all the time. <laughs> Young man. <laughs> well, I'm at the stage door of Northampton Rep. Thank you, but I've got to run for a train. Yeah. Anyway, have there been any songs of Bob Dylan, particular songs that you've listened to over the years and maybe had a revelation about later on in your life? Yes, there's a wonderful song, which is not well known. I think it comes from the Infidels time period. Mick Taylor plays beautiful guitar on it called uh, Tell Me. Mm. Do you know the song? Yeah. And basically, yeah. the I in the song, and let's not always assume that that's Bob, but the, the, the first person in the song is, is, is saying... He's trying to get a woman to be interested in him and he's asking her questions about herself and he says, ever gone broke in a big way, ever done the opposite of what the experts say? Mm. And that line really haunts me and that, that is a kind of epiphany because it just strikes me as very timely because we're at a moment in history when, as you know, experts are at their lowest. I, know. <laughs> and I, begin, I begin to think it, mm. maybe it's time for the experts <laughs> to come back. I've have never related the, the work of Bob Dylan to Brexit before. <laughs> Thank you for, for putting that thought in my head. I've got Dylan and Gove in but my it, head it, together it, now. It, it comes back actually to the point where I began, which is that, that lovely anti-authoritarian streak in him, ever done the opposite of what the experts say. Mm. And it's a way of trying to get to find out what somebody's like. It's yeah. a way of tapping into them. And it's everything's broken in a big way as well. I mean, yes, that's, that's, that's directly yeah. related to, you know, we ain't got nothing, nothing to lose. You know, mm. it's, it's, yes. it's just like, what the hell? I'm going to lose mm. everything and yes. see where that takes me. Yes. And as a writer, where do you put Dylan? I'm not ta necessarily talking about the Nobel Prize, but I mean, are there any other writers of any sort that you could compare to him? Or what do you no, think he I, I would go. I would boldly go for Shakespeare, only because mm -hmm. I think his emotional range is so astonishing. I don't know of another popular artist who, who covers... That much ground, and I, I come from a. I come. I basically come from a time of Beatlemania. You know, I was mm. nine years old when. Kerry, I'm sure you remember this. Yep. Same age as me, I think. Nine years old when that hit, and the Beatles lasted maybe seven, eight years, mm. and I kind of assumed that that was it. You know, so the fact that this man has started in what '61, and here we are, 57 years. Here we are in a studio, 57 years later. Ridiculous. Talking about, we're not talking about Christa Burke. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. We're not talking about Edge Cut on the world. We're talking about Bob because of his extraordinary emotional range. Yeah. Another great songwriters, Leonard Cohen. I think is a magnificent songwriter, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say he was like Bob only because I don't think he can go all the way from um, you know I believe in you to to Masters of War by if you see her say hello. It's it's, it's an yeah. astonishing achievement. So I think he is um, you know he's a Shakespearean songwriter. And do you read all the books that come out about him? Do you? No, because I worry. I mean, I can talk. Here I am talking to you guys. I'm, I'm worried that I'll spend too much time thinking about him and not enough time simply responding to the music. And mm -hmm. I, I think too much knowledge might be the enemy of that. And also I'm aware of the futility of trying to, trying to understand him, uh, trying to know him. It's absurd. Yeah. And I feel for the guy <laughs> that uh, so many millions of people do try and get close to him, mm. as opposed, I mean, obviously drawing an obvious distinction between getting close to his work and getting close to him. But, we, I mean, we, we'll, we'll, we'll never square that circle. We'll never solve mm. that. 
Riddle well, you, you lent me the, well. We both read the book that you lent me. Uh, oh, the Dylanologists, yeah, yeah with David Kinney. Yes, that paints a very, very complex picture it of, does, of people's it does. relationship to this man and his music, doesn't it? If we should please t- tell the people, uh, g- give us an idea of the concept <clears> of that book. The, it's the, well, it's about various people who have. Um, is obsessed too strong a word? I mean, not they, a, they, no, no, not at all. Too weak a word. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 the relationship between the people in this book and Bob Dylan is is something beyond even the kind of casual obsession we we have in the studio. Yeah. The the quote on the inside um, of the jacket goes along the lines of a fan going up to Bob Dylan and saying, "I know everything about you, but you don't know anything <laughs> about me." And Dylan responding, "Yeah." Let's keep it that way. Which says an awful lot. But they do want. It's about but, people wanting. You know, it's beyond that joke. It's yeah, about people yeah. believing that they have a connection with yes, him. And yes. of course, the, the ones who travel, are certainly all around Europe or all around America, mm. uh, and make Bob Dylan their life. Yes. Uh, yes, it makes us look like you know when my gigantic Bob Dylan book arrived today, <laughs> the one that the full color illustrated. And your wife thing, gave you that, that look had, again. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I'm just uh, you know I'm I'm on the the nursery slopes mm. compared <laughs> to the people who have climbed the Dylan Everest. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen him in concert, you know. I think in single figures. I'm 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 home free. I'm not mm. I'm not obsessive. <laughs> I've certainly seen him eight times or something. I'm fine. But you've got certainly certainly every album that he's put out, including the official bootlegs yeah. plus a zillion bootlegs. Where do you where do you stand on that? Jay? I love the bootlegs. I love them for a very particular reason that I don't think Bob is always the best judge of the best versions of his songs, and mm. we, we only have to look at Blood on the Tracks uh, to know that yes. the, the earlier versions, which weren't officially released are, to my mind, no. absolutely astonishing. Mm. I heard a, a version that you gave me, Luke, it's always Luke giving me this, this stuff, of Blind Willie McTell, that mm. one that you just gave me, I think, yesterday. Oh, yes, the electric yeah, take the electric version. Yeah. And I think it's better. I, I think it's more yes. listenable. Yeah. I think it's got a real, you know, jolt to it. Well, you yeah. mentioned Mick Taylor, that he, he oh, really breaks free on that, on that version. Oh, is that Mick Taylor? Yeah, that's Mick Taylor. Yeah. And that's allegedly... Because with Infidels, I think Dylan did what he does so often, which is nearly release a certain version. Um, and allegedly, I think authors like Clinton Halen have written about this, there was a list, uh, there was a running order, there were mixes. And I think Mark Knopfler was was on that album, was yes, going to help was, him. Yeah. And he had to take off and do a Dire Straits tour. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and guessing a little bit here, but I think he said, look, I'll, I'm going to go on tour, but I'm, I've got this. I'll, I'll, I'll focus on it when I get back. And Dylan just went ahead and did it. And so I think that version of Blind Willie McTell was meant to be on Infidels, as was Foot of Pride. Mm. Um, and, yeah, they weren't. But he, he thought, no, I'll go for Don't Fall Apart on Me Tonight instead or something, which it, is a bit strange. Well, it's the, as I say, the pre- predictable perversity of the man. Yeah. 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 He yeah. always confound you. Are mm. there any songs that you, John, think were kind of mistakes that were on his released albums where you just well, think, I a... just don't get this. This is bad. Yes. Well, how about the 1980s? I mean, I would say that. The entire 1980s? Yes, Yes. I'm struggling to recall. Ugliest girl in the world. Yeah, it's... it's, um... But look, he's, as I say, in a a 57-year, whatever it is, career, you're Mm. entitled. And in fact, I think it's all, you know, it's like having a... It's almost like like having a friendship. Mm. If you're a friend of somebody, Mm. they are going to piss you off at certain points and you're going to carry on being their friend and I yeah. think all the Dylan fans feel like that we'll, we'll stick by him but we mustn't pretend I, don't, I think it's foolish to pretend that there aren't you know there aren't lows but 
Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I mean, one of our guests the other week said we we asked him what was the worst thing Dylan ever did, um, and he came out with his answer, which was perfectly justifiable. But then he swiftly followed it with, you know, but I forgive him. Yes, absolutely. You know, and that that in a nutshell is the Bob Dylan fan to me. You know, yes. they know some of it's just awful. Yes. But he's a he's a great great he's artist. He's a great artist. We will not see his like again. And no, you yeah, he did some stuff that's not and, great. And I tell you what interests me so much is the times when it seems to me he almost deliberately mess things up, like Live Aid. He gives a tremendously ramshackle oh. bad mm. performance. And that's partly because and I keep going back to the same old thing I know and I apologize. There, there, there's a there's a given we're all it's it's uh, like speech day at school well, mm. you know we're all on our best behavior mm-hmm. we're all going to do well for for bob for sir bob Geldof. but bob's bob's going to shamble on and say you know i think maybe she could sell this to the farmers you know <laughs> bob excuse me this is for starving people in africa yeah you, you cannot say you cannot get him to put on the little bow tie and no. behave well let's do ballad of hollis brown and <laughs> keith richards yeah. and ron yeah. wood going we rehearse that one <laughs> And also just sitting backstage as the climax, you know, and they're all just getting legless drunk. You know, they, yeah. they mm-hmm. look like they could barely stand up. No, but that's how he rolls. That's how he, yeah. Do you, do you um, ever talk to Bob? You mentioned Douglas Adams uh, with other writer friends, or do writers have other writer friends? <laughs> are you all just, I just like Jack Nicholson in The Shining? And I the, talked the a lot about Bob to Douglas, and I, I actually like to celebrate his... Um, memory by saying that on uh, Desert Island Discs, he chose Bob's song Clothesline Saga, ah, which f- for my money, which is never enough money because I work in radio, for my money is possibly the only song of his which I think is a perfect, is a comic song. Mm. Um, and if you don't know it, it's a wonderfully funny song about a boy who has to hang out the clothes on the line and there's nothing going on, and then the news comes of the vice president going mad in town, and it turns out there's nothing that anyone could do about it. It's a lovely, deadpan song about the awfulness of living in an American suburb and life just passing you by. Mm. And I've just had a flash of uh, My Little Town by uh, Paul oh, yes. Simon, because there, there's the, the, the laundry flapping in yes, the dirty breeze. Right. I don't know which Hey, Kerry, I'm so first. glad you brought up... <laughs> Paul, son, yeah, because yeah. I just want to go Jewish on you guys a little bit here. When I was growing up, I come from northwest London. I come from Golders Green, which is like, you know, more Jewish than Tel Aviv in the 60s. And the, when I write my book, Jews in Rock, with a, with a foreword by Jeremy Corbyn, I will tell the story of um, – sorry about that. But I, it struck me very forcibly when I was growing up. I watched Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. Um, and go with me on this one. They were the kind of nice Jewish boys that I mm. knew from my neighborhood. They mm. looked like boys you, you would go to Hebrew class mm. with. They were very polite. They were very literary. I mean, fant- wonderful, wonderful talents, but they were kind of good. And then along came oh. Bob, yeah. and he was also Jewish. He'd had b- b- mm. for two, but there was something about him that was utterly un- unlike them. I mm. just realized Bob Dylan was is the Kerry Tatelman of... Uh, of popular music. Uh, when I was growing up, my first name is Carrie. Yeah. And uh, Carrie Tatelman used to sit beside me in uh, in Hebrew school. Right. Which we had to do before we had our bar mitzvah. Yeah. And we were both bored out of our minds, but the difference was that I concentrated and yes. tried to do a good job. And Carrie Tatelman set his desk on fire 
Wow. I saw him do it. Like I saw him, you know, building this little pile of of papers and and taking out the matches and lighting it on. What was what's this thing in 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 Brownsville Girl? We took it all the way and until the tires till the wheels fell off. Till the wheels fell off. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I mean. That's really what Bob does, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's amazing. He's been driving this car with, you know, yes, that's, that's just full of bullet holes. And he's yeah. been through everything and he's, he's still going. Yes, I, don't, I don't know physically how he how he's, has the stamina to do the never-ending tour so never-ending. No, really. neither do I. Neither do I. I mean, we've touched on this before as actors. You know, we've, we've done long runs. Yes. Uh, eight shows a week for a, a year, maybe. Okay, but he's his 30 years. But he does it by, by lighting his desk on fire each I guess, time. I guess. Do you do what Bob does, which is change the change the way you see, you yeah. say the lines I, every night? I do that, and that then I, also, yeah, I wait until the tour's finished, and then I go and record an album with my voice <laughs> totally <laughs> fucked. <laughs> no, but I, I remember the first time I, I, I got bored, I was doing a play at the uh, Bristol Old Vic, and I, I'd been in a way that I was a good student. I'd been a good actor, you know, and I, 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 I basically played it by the book, and I did with the director told me to do and then I guess I've been acting at that point for five or six years and I was doing a Clifford Odette's play and I decided all of a sudden I was aware we're two weeks into the run and I thought geez I'm bored rigid I know exactly what I'm going to say next I know exactly how I'm going to say it so I decided I was it was a scene where I was having an argument with my mother who was being played by the woman who was the character actress at the Bristol Old Vic and, and played right. she'd played Mistress Quickly in the, in Henry V where I was the boy you know it was, a, it was a, a rep season and I decided I wasn't going to stand on that line the line I'd always stood on I was not mm. going to stand on it I was mm. not going to stand and I didn't stand and then I stood like a line later and I got this wonderful surge of energy because because I'd done it differently. I had me. said the line the, yeah. more or less the same way. I just hadn't yeah. stood. And she confronted me backstage oh, afterwards right. and yeah. said, uh, you know, are you going to do it like that? Yes. Is it going to do it like that? Then I'll have to. And I said, well, I don't actually know. I, I, I yeah. don't know. I, I might or I might not. So she hated me forever. Yeah. But um, and I, she never uh, backed Bob Dylan on any of his tours. <laughs> no, no, she no. could not have handled it. But no I, I just, I thought, you know, let's, can we roll with yes, this a bit? We, yes. And she wasn't yeah. willing to roll with it. And I, I wasn't trying to screw her up. And I, I, I felt bad that I, yes, I'd screwed sure. her up, and I, I, it wasn't that I won, run wild or anything, mm. or but I just thought this is there's got to be some way not to, to to keep it moving forward. Yes, and and that's how I, I like to work, and I find that now I think most actors like to play around. Mm. Um, and if they don't, well, I think in a way there are two kinds of actors in a way that there may be two kinds of musicians. Yes. I don't know if there are two kinds of – writing is a completely different well, thing. I tell you a, a musician's story I heard which much amused me and is relevant to this. Do you recall on um, – well, I'm sure you recall the song Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. Sure. There's a wonderful sax solo, which yeah. is one of the great features of the song yeah. by a man called Raphael Ravenscroft. And when they toured that uh, song – Raphael Redscroft played his solo. And afterwards, somebody came up to him backstage and said, excuse me, you didn't play that solo right. You didn't play exactly the same notes as on the record. And Raphael Ravenscroft, a musician, said, no, you don't understand. It's a solo. And a solo means I do what I feel. And this person said, no, 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 we didn't pay to hear you do something you didn't do on the record. And 
there's no happy ending from that moment. Yeah. He played what he played on the record. But it fascinates me because, I mean, oh. you know, I mean, Dylan, we know Dylan changes his stuff, but he said about, you know, I mean, when he when he recasts his songs and he does them with a different tune yes, and yes. different lyrics and no one knows what songs they are, he said, look, I write these songs. The yes. moment I recorded them just happens to be a step on the journey. Yes, that's, that's not it. the definitive version. Yes. There isn't a definitive version. It keeps moving. It's the version you know, yes, but yeah. I'm not going to do that again. That's so interesting. I would compare him. This is, this is really getting to some interesting dark areas with two other um, Jewish artists not quite of his generation but Harold Pinter and David Mamet I think are very contrasting kinds of artists to that because I had a friend who worked as a stage manager on a Pinter production and she basically uh, cued something five or ten seconds too early and he he complained about it because he had exactly he Mm. knew exactly the picture he painted and Mm. that picture didn't change so that there's another way of looking at it. You could be a completely controlled artist yeah. and say, "This is ex- I know exactly how this should go. I know the rhythms of it. And if you depart from that, this is not my work. Whereas yeah. you're saying Bob is the opposite. Well, He's saying, I wrote, you know, it's like saying I, I wrote yeah, The Caretaker in 1960. Yeah. It's 2018. Exactly. And I'm gonna, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm now trying to, you know, struggle with the notion of, Dylan exercising any anything like the sort of precision yeah. of a Harold Pinter and yes, thinking quite, what yeah. a, a different artist yes. that would make him. It would, yes, it would. It would. But would we still be listening to him at this point? No, I don't, I don't think know. so. Because the mis- you mean because of the is is the the mistakes and the uh, the yeah. humanity is in the mistakes. Yeah. And exactly. The mess yeah. Of yeah. It. I mean, the there there are times when I actually think about the. Um, is it Highway 61 where where the they have the false start? I know. I think it's on bringing it all back. Yeah, home. it's on bringing it all back home. And I, I often think about that. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they left that in, that they left the false start in, yes. I, I think was one of the things that kind of opened me yes. up a bit. I thought mm. I ca- I, they did that. I can't believe that they did that. That mm. means mistakes are allowed. Well, there's a lovely one of those wonderful songs on. Is it um, uh, New Morning? Uh, Sign on the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And there's that. There's the word porch in it. And when you listen mm. to the the album, there's a pop on the P. It's it's a mm. mistake. You know, and any mm. other artist would go, well, you, you, we can't have that. But because he's singing it so beautifully, mm. leave it in. Well, on the what? same album, he, he audibly smiles, virtually laughs on, mm. on Three Angels. Oh, yes. The wild yeah. cat from Montana passes yeah. by flesh. <laughs> I think we talk, I love it. I love, I love it. it. I love it when he smiles and laughs. Yeah. I just think it, it, it sounds like he's having a good time. Yes. Yeah. You know, and even in the serious Three, Three Angels is a really weird yeah. and deeply mm. serious song. Mm. But and then that's why I, the basement tapes I've I've just you know oh, learned to yes. love because yeah, yeah. they're just messing around. Yes, it's, it, yes. it's great to hear and see great musicians messing around. Yes. Um, we're just about out of time, John. Is there anything, any pithy um, statements or more about comedy? Or yes, I want to say? quote something from um, Million Dollar Bash, which sums up the beauty of his humor. Um, I looked at my watch. <laughs> I looked at my wrist. I punched myself in the face with my fist. I took my potatoes down to be mashed, and I made it on over to that Million Dollar Bash. I just want to salute any artist who can get the word potatoes in a popular song <laughs> I love that song more than I can express all that we have time to talk well, about well let's punch ourselves in our faces <laughs> with our fists Is It Rolling Bob Talking Dylan is recorded in the Taiwan Suite at VoiceOver Soho Studios engineered by John Green and produced by Peter Morris we're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod music 
is by Sam Hare. Now, there's a certain thing that I learned from my friend Mouse, that fella who never blushes, and that is that one must always flush out his house if he don't expect to be housing flushes. <laughs>